it's good to be back. It's good to be here and to see all of you. Uh, and um, yeah, so let's just dive right in. Psalm 31 is where we're headed. Uh, let's read together. Psalm 31, beginning in verse 1. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to keep me safe. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you 
that you are a rock of refuge, a fortress, a shelter that keeps us safe. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a, a couple of nights ago, I had a phone call scheduled with a longtime friend of mine uh, just to catch up and, and hear how things are going and, and all of that. But a little bit before our call, he sent me a text message that he might be a little bit late because he was still getting his kids to bed. Uh, and so whenever he finally did call, a little bit after our scheduled time, uh, I asked, hey, how did bedtime go? And he began telling me about the crisis of Grandpa Owl. Grandpa Owl is a stuffed owl that belongs to one of his daughters. Uh, it got its name because Grandpa gave it to her, my friend's dad. So, of course, this is Grandpa Owl. Um, and Grandpa Owl goes everywhere with my friend's daughter. Everywhere, right? Grandpa Owl goes to preschool with her, um, goes to the playground with her, goes home with her, goes to dinner with her, uh, and yes, goes to bed with her. But on this particular night, Grandpa Owl was nowhere to be found. A true crisis, right? Uh, he was missing. Uh, and so how could she possibly quiet down and go to sleep? right? Grandpa Owl is missing. Well, after much plight, my friend finally brought in a substitute stuffed animal for the night, and the crisis was at least temporarily averted, and she settled down and, and uh, made it to sleep. So that's the story of the Grandpa Owl crisis of 2022, to forever be remembered. Um, but here's the question. Did any of you have some kind of special object like Grandpa Owl for a kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a, a pig named Ed, uh, and Ed was very important to me. Uh, I also had a, a little uh, yellow blanket that was very special. I think someone from church uh, where I grew up actually made that, and, and it was a gift. Um, but you know, these were important objects for me as a kid, right? I mean, I, I carried them, I, I kept them with me, right? Uh, we often have these kinds of, of objects, stuffed animals, blankets, whatever it may be, uh, that uh, we, we hang on to. Because you see, from childhood, we have this deep need for stability and for security. And we're well aware that, that we don't possess those things within ourselves. So we find safe places and safe objects to help provide this sense of security. Things like Grandpa Owl, right? This is the essential need that's being expressed in Psalm 31. This deep need and desire for stability and for security. It begins, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Right? 
be my, my safe object that I can hold on to. Right? There's this deep need for security, for stability that the psalmist cries out for. And if we're honest, we never outgrow that need. We never outgrow this. If anything, we, we, we have a greater need for it than, than ever before. We've talked about this before, right? We are more aware than ever before of the instability of things that we previously had taken for granted, right? I mean, a, a global pandemic undid our rhythms, routines, and habits almost overnight, right? Everything was upended. All the things that we thought were stable were not, right? We're very aware of war, violence, and crime, whether across the street or across the world. We can't help but hear about it, learn about it. The economy feels overwhelming and precarious. Social tensions are high. There's often a great deal of suspicion towards other people. There's a great deal of anxiety that we carry around with us when we're interacting with others that, that's just dissolved any kind of ease or trust or security in relationships, right? I mean, can you resonate with any of this? Have you seen any of this around? Sometimes it can feel like the world is falling apart. And so we fall apart too. The psalmist describes this very experience as he, as he declares his need for stability, for security. In verse 9, he describes, he says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Right? This sense of instability can be debilitating and paralyzing. I am in distress, he cries. The first thing that happens is my eyes grow weak with sorrow right? Uh, sorrow has this way of distorting our vision, this way so, so that we can no longer really see what's good or beautiful or true around us. We can no longer see goodness, joy, hope, meaning, purpose, right? Sorrow saps all of that out of us, and we can only see distress, our eyes grow weak with sorrow. Then he says, my soul and my body grow weak with grief, right? There's this sort of numb paralysis that begins to set in. The soul doesn't feel connected to God. The body lacks energy and desire. Things that were once enjoyable now just kind of fall flat. I mean, in many ways, this description that the psalmist has here lines right up with the clinical definition of depression, right? Just everything is sapped from this person. It doesn't stop there. Verse 10 goes on to say, my life is consumed by anguish 
and my years by groaning. This force of instability becomes all-consuming, sucking up life, time. And this is how you know that this force is not neutral, right? It's not just this objective force of, of facts that we have to deal with or grapple with. There is something actively seeking to disrupt this world that God originally created to be good. It's all-consuming as it, as it eats up his years. There is something actively seeking to destroy people who God created to be loved. This force of instability. And it doesn't even stop individuals. Right? Verses 11 to 13 go on to describe the disruption of neighbors and friends. It, it describes enemies, saying that there's the sound of whispers, terror on every side. Right? The, the psalmist is being torn up on the inside, but also the very fabric of his relationships are being torn apart as well. Where friends can no longer approach one another. Neighbors no longer look at one another. And so what we have here that the psalmist is describing is a society that is incapable of loving one another. And so what is left is an isolated, anxious, lonely individual. Now, does that sound familiar at all? in this day and age? Does it sound at all like the world that we're living in? See, it, it could be easy to think that the last few years have been some sort of new challenge, uh, you know, some sort of chaotic disruption, but the psalmist had this very same kind of experience thousands of years before. There's nothing new under the sun right? There are just new, ever-creative ways of disrupting and destroying what God meant to be good. The Bible is an old book, yes, but it is just as relevant as ever. Scriptures don't hide anything about the human experience. I so appreciate the, the real, honest, and simply true way that the Bible speaks to us. So there's this description of instability, distress, sorrow, grief, anguish, and groaning. And it's just as relevant as it's ever been. We today desperately need some kind of stability. We desperately need some kind of security to hold on to in the midst of it all. We all need a grandpa owl, right? We all need that. But here's the problem. Where do we turn when we need security? What do we reach out to when we, when we feel that overwhelming sense of fear, anxiety, disruption, 
right? Maybe we turn on the TV, drown it out with, you know, light and sound. Maybe we pour a drink. Maybe we add something to our online shopping cart, right? That's very cathartic. I recently watched a documentary uh, that I know some of you have watched called The Social Dilemma. Um, it is uh, fascinating and disturbing. It, it explores the many effects that social media has had on us as individuals and society. I highly recommend watching it. It's very uh, informative. Uh, but, but something that one of the people who's being interviewed on it said is that once upon a time, whenever we had experiences of loneliness, fear, anxiety, we had to deal with them in some way, right? We, we actually had to face them in some way. But now, we all have these wonderful digital pacifiers at an arm's length, right? You just grab and pick it up and, you know, it's endlessly scroll through pictures and videos and all kinds of distractions that dissociate us from our problems instead of actually helping us face them. Right? There, there are all kinds of things, whether substances or devices, that we reach out to when we feel unstable and insecure. And in verse 6, the psalmist describes this as clinging to worthless idols. Clinging to worthless idols. Anytime we seek security in something that is not God, we are clinging to a worthless idol. We often read verses like that and think, well, we're much more sophisticated than those ancient people who literally held on to you know, physical idols and worshipped them and prayed to them and so on. We, we're so beyond that, right? But we're really no different, right? These lifeless things that we turn to are not God, but nevertheless command our attention and affection, and ultimately demand our worship. We often think that we go to some of these things in order to regain control when we feel out of control, but really, these things are just controlling us. We become controlled by them. This is how addiction works. This is the essence of idolatry. It is a pouring out of our lives to that which cannot save. Now, here's the thing. If, if any of this maybe pricks your heart in any way, it could be very easy to begin feeling a sense of shame, right? It could be easy to hear that internal voice start to accuse you tell you how much you've messed up, how worthless and hopeless you are, and, you know, oh, no, I, I totally do that. Woe is me, right? And if we're honest, this is church. I'm a preacher, and we have heard 
countless churches and preachers who actively encourage that kind of shame. But here's the problem. Shame will only lead us right back to that sense of instability, sorrow, and distress, and the whole cycle starts over again. Shame is not an exit strategy. Shame is not the way out. It's just a deeper way into the mess. Shame does not get us anywhere. It's not the way out. There's only one way out of this cycle that we're reflecting on. It's not shame. It's not willpower, right? That doesn't work either, right? Because then we fail and end up in shame, right? Verse 6, the psalmist describes those who cling to worthless idols and then goes on to say, but as for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. The way out is not shame. It's not self-reliance. The way out is love. Love is the only way that we can find any sense of freedom or healing or peace. It's trusting in God and receiving God's love. The love of God is what saves us and sets us free. Again, the psalmist says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul, but you have not given me into the hands of the enemy. You've set my feet in a spacious place. Right? When fear, anxiety, and instability were closing in around me, you, in your love, came and rescued me, and you have set me in a spacious place. I love that image, right? Everything was closing in, but all of a sudden, there's room to breathe. There's space. It's this picture of freedom, this, this spacious place, a place of freedom and rest. The only way to find deep, true Security is to trust in God who loves you, no matter what, and has come to rescue you from sin and from shame. This is where the psalmist turns. When instability, insecurity, depression, and anxiety are pressing in, Instead of reaching out toward whatever worthless idol of choice, substances, devices, instead of reaching to those things, may we reach to, to Psalm 31, right? And let these words guide us to the one who can save. Verse 14, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, 
from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Can you make that prayer your own in the midst of those moments? I trust in you, Lord. Save me in your unfailing love. See, we, we don't have to coerce God into saving us. He wants to save us. He saves us because he loves us. We need only trust in him and receive his love. God is the true Grandpa Owl, the only one who can give us safety and security. The psalmist describes what it's like to rest secure in God. In verse 19, it says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. There it is again, the love of God. This is what it is to rest in and receive God's love, to receive the, the many good things that he has stored up to hide in his shelter. He alone is our source of security and safety. This is good news. This is good news. But I want to share one thing about the security that God provides. You see, trusting in God and receiving his love is beautiful, right? This image is, is beautiful and wonderful, but it doesn't mean that life all of a sudden becomes easy. It doesn't mean that all the problems magically go away. God is not a genie. Prayer is not a magic lamp. God's love does not deliver us from challenges, but through challenges. I want you to hear that. God's love does not deliver us from challenges, but through challenges. And that makes all the difference. Right? Uh, verse 23 towards the end of the psalm, says the Lord preserves those who are true to him. Preserves, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that we won't experience fires and floods, but that with God, we will be preserved through the fires and the floods that we face. 
which is why the psalm ends with its exhortation. Be strong. Take heart. All you who hope in the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Because we're still going to face challenges. We're still going to face all of these things, but be strong and take heart. How do we do that? By hoping in the Lord. By trusting in him and nothing else. By grabbing hold of God. As that true Grandpa Owl, who didn't prevent my friend's daughter from going to preschool or the playground or bedtime, but rather went with her to preschool and to the playground and to bedtime, right? This is how God is with us. He goes with us wherever we go, and because he's with us, we can persevere. Because God is with us, we can face whatever it may be. He goes with us wherever we go and helps us through it, no matter what. The best picture of this is Jesus himself. Jesus perfectly trusted his Father perfectly relied on God in every situation that came his way. And because he perfectly trusted God, nothing bad ever happened to him, right? Right? Jesus perfectly trusted in his Father, but when the devil came, confronted him in the wilderness, he perfectly relied on his Father, right? When he called his disciples to follow him, he first sought his father in prayer, perfectly relied on him. When he was on a boat in the middle of a raging storm, he perfectly trusted his father. He was asleep, right? He was at peace because he trusted his father. When he came to the cross, he continued to trust in his Father. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, the very last thing that Jesus says before dying on the cross is a prayer from Psalm 31. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. On the cross, Jesus was praying Psalm 31, trusting his Father to be his rock of refuge, a strong fortress. His trust did not prevent him from the cross, but brought him through the cross. Even though Pharisees and Roman soldiers closed in on every side of him, he knew that his feet were set in a spacious place. And so, at the most distressing, the most destructive moment of Jesus' life, 
He was perfectly free, perfectly at peace. I'll never forget one of the keynote speakers uh, at Pepperdine earlier this year who talked about the utter freedom that Jesus displayed in these final moments leading up to the cross. He described it this way, right? The, the crowd came to arrest Jesus in the garden. His disciples grabbed swords and were ready to fight. But Jesus says, no, don't, don't fight for me. My kingdom does not come through violence. Well, then Jesus is arrested. He's brought to the courtroom where they're accusing him, laying all kinds of false testimony against him. Isn't he going to respond? Isn't he going to defend himself? Stand up to them? No. I don't need to do that. I'm free from their accusations. Well, come on, Jesus, like, at least call down 10,000 angels, right? You can do that. No, I'm not even attached to my own power. The speaker went on to say that at the end, Jesus is not a slave of Rome. He's not a slave of the Sanhedrin. He's not a slave of Satan. He is not even a slave to his own desires. Jesus, in those final moments before the cross, is the most free person that has ever lived. Nothing can faze him. How is he so free? because he trusts his Father. So that even from the cross, he can pray, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And God did not deliver him from the cross, but he did deliver him through it. Even death itself is not strong enough to disrupt the security that God gives. And on the third day, Jesus rose again, triumphant over sin and death. Jesus is the perfect example of this psalm, but even more than that, He's not only the perfect example of what it is to look to God as our rock and fortress, a shelter in which to hide. Jesus himself is our rock and our fortress. When we trust in him, when we joined with him, his death and resurrection and baptism, we were hidden with him. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, well, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is our rock and our fortress. Jesus is the one in whom our lives are hidden. In him, we are safe and secure, and not even death itself can overwhelm us. So let us trust in Jesus. He is the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Hope in the Lord. Amen.